if we're being honest about it, we're sometimes more the foolish virgins than the wise virgins. And yet there's great consolation that Jesus is telling us this parable so that we don't have to fall under the same condemnation as them. So to understand the parable, we have to understand ancient Jewish weddings. So there was first the betrothal where the man would go to the woman's father and ask for her hand. At that moment, they were betrothed, which was actually legal marriage. After that, only divorce could separate them. But unlike we commonly do, there was this waiting period, sometimes up to a whole year, where he would go back home and get his home ready. And then the moment that he would go to bring her back from her home, her father's home, to his home for the wedding ceremony. This is where we are now. The bridegroom is going to get the bride and bring her to his home for this great feast, this great wedding banquet. Just such a beautiful image of what heaven is. And not that heaven is sort of like a wedding, uh, you know, a wedding reception, but our wedding receptions are sort of like heaven. They're a foreshadowing, a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. And so all those who had previously been invited are now waiting and they join in the procession. Maybe there's some dancing, maybe there's some song and then they enter into the, the, the feast. So these 10 virgins have clearly been invited. Now the, the, the foolish virgins, their first foolish blunder is this. They don't bring any oil. It doesn't say that they didn't have any oil. It says that they didn't bring any oil. They go to, to wait to or wait the arrival of this bridegroom and they don't bring any oil. That's foolish move number one. The bridegroom is delayed. They all fall asleep. That should give us some consolation that the, the wise virgins aren't perfect and just like the foolish ones, they too fall asleep because sometimes we in our spiritual life do that as well. At midnight, there's the cry. Here, here he comes. He's close now. He's just down the road. Get ready and what do the foolish ones do? Here's foolish move number two. They leave. They actually go away from the, they have one job to do, welcome the bridegroom and enter into the party, and they leave, they go away. That, that was a foolish thing to do. I think actually the foolish, most foolish thing that the foolish virgins did was they were hanging out with other foolish virgins. That was a bad move. If you're a fool, you should try to find smarter friends to hang out with. And that can be a reminder to us as well. Who are we hanging out with? Who are we spending time with? Are they people who are gonna help us meet the arrival of the bridegroom or are they gonna help, uh, be people who distract us? Now, we get to this point in the parable and this is the point that just grates on us, right? Well, what's with the wise virgins? They're not sharing their oil? What's the point of this parable? Don't share. The kingdom of heaven will be given to those who don't share. No, that's not the point of the parable. The point is here, well, we have to first figure out what is this oil? Well, first, it's something that actually can't be shared. It's something that one person can't just give to another person. And then I think the Lord gives us a little bit of a hint at the end of the parable where they come knocking on the door and he says, I don't know you. So somehow the oil fits into this pattern here. Something that can't be shared and something that 
provokes the Lord, the bridegroom, to say, I don't, I don't even know you. And so what is it? What is this oil? Well, I think it's our own individual response of love and friendship to God. Because that's something that can't be shared. I can't love God for you. Just like a husband can't turn to his wife and say, hey, I don't have time to love the kids this week, so could you just love them for me? No, even if the, even if the mom loves the kids twice as much, spends twice as much time with them, they're still missing something that only the husband, only the father can give and, and vice versa. And so in this scenario, the five foolish virgins refuse to give that gift of love to the Lord. We can look at it in the way that St. Paul speaks of the, the body of Christ, that each member of the body has a particular role to play. And one part of the body can't say to the other part of the body, hey, you do this. You know, maybe you could get by for a little bit if the foot said to the hand, hey, I'm, I'm getting tired of walking, could you walk for me? And you know, maybe you can learn how to walk on your hands or something. But if the foot said to the, if the eye said to the foot, hey, I'm tired of seeing, would you see for me? Well, that's impossible. The, the gift that the eye gives the body can't be fulfilled by any other part of the body. This is where I think this, this parable is so beautiful and fitting for us on this feast day of the dedication of this building, this house of prayer. Because just in the same way, we're called to be one body. And we all have our own unique gifts and contributions to bring to this community. Just like this church building wasn't built by one individual or by a single donation, but many individuals came together and brought much, much, many, much, lots of money and lots of time and lots of skill that went into building this house of prayer that could be utilized for many, many years. 110 years later, here we are still offering right worship in this place. And so it serves as a continual metaphor of what we're called to as a parish community to use our gifts at the service of one another. That's why I can't just be a me and Jesus relationship. I can't love the Lord on my own. St. John says this later in the scriptures. How can you say you love God who you can't see if you don't even love your brothers and sisters who you do see? And so the question for us comes and says, how am I using my unique gifts for the service of my brothers and sisters? How am I using what the Lord's given me, whether it's my time, my talent, my treasure, to serve the mission of the parish, which is, well, that's a good question. What is the mission of the parish? What is a parish, what does a parish church exist for? There was a survey done not too many years ago that asked people to say, what does a parish exist for? And the overwhelming unanimous answer was, parish exists to serve my needs. That was what the people said. The priests were asked the same question. The priest said, well, the parish exists for evangelization. 
And that's actually the right answer. The priest got that one right. The prayer should exist for evangelization. We exist here in, 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 at St. Maximilian Colby in Delano so that we can evangelize the wider community so that they can encounter Jesus in the Eucharist and have their life transformed by living the gospel and experience the joy that only Jesus can bring. And if, if you don't do your part, then it won't get done. If you don't serve in the way that only you can serve or reach out to the person only you can reach out to or bring your particular sacrifice to the altar which only you can bring, it will go undone. It's a, it's a, it's a profound honor and profound responsibility that we, that we have as parishioners here and, and anywhere where, where we are, our, every parishioner everywhere has that same, has that same profound obligation. And so we live out this parable and that we are here in our house. By the way, if you didn't catch on, Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the virgins, but we're also the bride. The virgins are the bride. There's no bride mentioned in this parable. That's us. We're waiting here in our house for the Lord, the bridegroom, to come and take us to his house the celestial house, the perfect house, the house that, where there's no more sadness, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, where all things are made new, to that celestial heavenly banquet hall, the feast of the lamb. That's where we're waiting him to, to come and bring us. And so Jesus tells us this parable so that wherever we find, maybe we find, wow, I, I can give so much more. I, I, haven't, given, I haven't given much. Or maybe I, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what, what can I give? What's mine to give? Well, we, we actually developed uh, this last year a little inventory, gift inventory of sorts, like to, to kind of discern what is the Lord, what has the Lord given me in my life? What are my unique gifts and qualifications that I can serve? How, how can I give back? And we'd love to make that available for you if you would find that helpful. But some of us kind of know, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I need, to, I need to give more. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's, maybe it's time. Maybe I haven't, I haven't served. I'm not serving for anything. There's, there's all sorts of opportunities. And when we have this attitude of the parish exists to serve my needs, then we fail to see the needs that I need to serve in the parish. This, this is where you kind of get frustrated with the, the five foolish virgins at the very end. They, they walk away, they leave. It's almost as if they know that the, the bridegroom is coming and that they haven't been living in relationship, that they haven't been giving what was theirs to give. And they're like, well, let's, let's just go, let's wander off. Let's go over here so he doesn't, he doesn't glare at us. And so they, they leave and then they say, wait a minute, I wanna go to the party. And they go and they knock on the door and they say, hey, we wanna come to the party. It's the opposite. It's like the total polar opposite of the relationship we're supposed to have. Jesus, I didn't have a relationship with you. I didn't give that unique gift that was only mine to give, but I still want you to give to me. It's entitlement. And we can live that way towards our parish. I want a wedding, I want a funeral, I want a baptism, but I don't want to give anything. Or we can live our relationship like that with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And, and we, don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to fall into this, um, the, what these foolish virgins fell into. We don't want the Lord at the end of our days for him to say, I don't, I don't know you. That would be the scariest thing ever. 
But I'd like to, I'd like to hold out hope because I think, I think that there is actually an 11th virgin. We don't read about here, here, but if you read between the lines and extrapolate here, there's the 11th virgin. The 11th virgin wasn't one of the wise virgins, but she wasn't as foolish as the foolish virgin. And so even though she showed up and she didn't have enough oil with her, she didn't leave. She stayed. She said, I, I, haven't, I haven't brought my unique gift. I haven't been living the way that I've been supposed to. But I know that the bridegroom is coming. And if there's one thing I know about him, I know that he's full of mercy and compassion. And as the bridegroom came and the other virgins had their lights lit and burning brightly, she just looked up at the Lord and said, mercy, mercy. And so too, if we find ourselves having lived more as a foolish virgin over the years than the wise, we always have that opportunity right now, right now to say, mercy, mercy. Lord, let me start again. And the Lord loves to give us second chances. So as we enter into this Eucharist, as we bring our gifts to the altar, we unite them with the, the gifts of bread and wine, let's ask the Lord to give us, to feed us with everything we need to be faithful stewards of all that is entrusted to us so that our church here at St. Maximilian Colby may continue to do the good work of our Savior for many, many years to come.